Hello again and welcome to the Les Represent podcast, the podcast about everything lesbian and lady-loving queer. Today we have another return guest and she's been so sweet to come back on and talk about all of the fun things on her end. Uh, please, Mika, introduce yourself for the people who might have not heard the podcast before that you were on. If you didn't hear before, I'm Mika Epstein. I run a website called LesWatch TV, which is the greatest database of queer female, transgender, and non-binary characters and shows on the internet today. I run this with one of my very best friends, Tracy Levesque, and when I'm not doing LesWatch TV, I work for a web host called DreamHost, which is based in Southern California. Now, for people who don't know anything about web hosting, myself included, how would you explain that? So every single website that you go and visit has to live on a computer somewhere for the for you to be able to reach it on the internet. And basically what we do is we build out the very special computers to run your websites to make sure that they're fast, they're stable, that you know when something horrible happens in the queer universe, your website doesn't go down. Because we do host Leswatch TV on DreamHost, actually. Well, isn't that two birds with one stone? Yeah, I, I, I like to call the website kind of our canary, which is if the weird stuff that I've done building out Leswatch TV doesn't break the server, then we wrote a really good server. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's definitely a way for it. So have you always wanted to do computers? I know last time we talked briefly about Oh. <laughs> your, how your Playboy Bunny uh, godmothers <laughs> told you to go into computers. Stay with computers yeah. um, my mother would tell you that, yes, I always wanted to do something with computers. But I don't know that I ever had the desire to just work with computers. For me, they were a fascinating toy growing up. My grandmother, Taffy, ran a dancewear business called Taffy's in Cleveland, Ohio. My father worked for her. My mother worked for her. My aunt worked for her. I did inventory because I was a little kid. Basically, my job was to run back and forth, and that's how they used up my energy. But when I was really little, they had they decided they wanted to get computers for the business. And this is back when you had to go and get a loan from a bank because computers were incredibly expensive and there were this brand new technology. So my dad had to put on a suit and tie and go to the bank and explain to them why they needed a loan to buy IBM computers. It was a long time ago. <clears throat> and uh, they had a computer room that was probably about the size of a regular bedroom in the United States. And I loved watching them put everything together in that computer room. I thought it was fascinating. Now, mind you, I also loved watching them stitch together all the dancewear outfits in the other end of the building. But to me, this computers were just, they were a fun toy. And my dad realized he could keep me out of trouble by showing me how math worked on computers. My father's a mathematician. My grandmother did accounting before she ran her own business. So I like math. I like numbers. I like patterns, and so computers just kind of stem naturally out of that. You are such a good storyteller. Not I, I save up some stories to tell them. Like I've told all of these things in bits and pieces to people over the years, and I hang on to them, and I try to craft a good story because I think that that makes things more memorable. Is that why you write a lot of the entries for your website? I write a lot of entries for the website because, oh, this sounds so weird to say it out loud. 
Um, like everybody else, I suffer from uh, feelings of inadequacy. Like I'm not excelling as well as I could be because I'm not reaching my full potential. We all express this in different ways. Some people, uh, they feel, you know, they get depressed because they're not as good at things as they want to be. And other people just are terrified and they get stage fright and things like that, have anxiety, panic attacks. And for me, the back of my head is always telling me, you know, you could do better. And I don't know where that voice came from, my little Jolene. I don't like her, but uh, she's there. And in order to make her shut up, uh, I write stories. And and I say this saying that, um, like, I'm, what, 15? No, I'm 13,000 words into a story. I'm not actually attempting NaNoWriMo, but I am attempting to finish this this story, and I'm going to send it into a publisher that uh, sells books at Clexicon because, dang it, I'm just going to do it. But... I just like to write. It lets me get out the Jolene in my head. It gets out all the thoughts in my head. And it doesn't matter if I'm recapping something or writing code or writing words to make a murder mystery or any of that. It, it just, it helps me get rid of the thoughts. So I just keep doing it. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, people like, they don't like to talk. I love that I can say the Jolene in our head. And now like everybody who watches Winona Earp knows exactly what I mean. It's great. Uh, (laughs) People don't like to talk about their Jolene's. They don't like to talk about these feelings because the minute you say, well, you know, I I have imposter syndrome or I have depression, everybody gets weird because you're talking about a mental problem. And well, you know what? Most of us have some sort of mental problem. And that's not a it's not a good thing, but it's not a horrible thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree with that. Like there's a lot that happens in this world. And I feel like if we knew more about whatever, what most people go through it would make it a lot easier to understand them instead of making it weird. Well, it's like being queer representation mm-hmm. matters. And if we don't see ourselves, we think we're weird. Well, when I start telling people that, you know, more people have a mental illness than are queer, it takes a moment to go, well, maybe I shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that I have depression. Maybe I should tell people. And then when I start going through a depressive episode, my friends who know this, maybe they'll be able to help me because we don't have to do all this alone. That's a really, that's a really beautiful statement. And I really wish that we could implement that in a way that it would happen instead of it being like a slow snail's pace thing. I think it's harder now because we're all spread out when we all used to like live in smaller communities. I think it was easier to notice, gee, I haven't seen, you know, Roberta in a week. Maybe I should go check on her. And now it's like, when was the last time so-and-so tweeted? And, you know, this may be someone you've never met in person, but you notice, oh, gee, it's been like months since they've tweeted. I should go and see if they're okay. And we all kind of do that. Like we notice someone on social media that we've never met went radio silent and we do reach out, but we don't think of it as being the helpful neighbor, but that's really what we're doing. And we just need to do a little more of it, I think, because things are pretty tough right now. Wow. You know, I've really never thought of it that way. I've, I've always just kind of been like, well, I don't want to weird them out. And I think that's, I think that's another thing with being isolated. And sometimes you, you're afraid you're going to scare somebody away, even though you're just trying to be helpful. Oh, you probably, you probably will scare people. Um, after the last U S presidential election, I've taken to texting 
uh, some of my friends, the ones I don't talk to very often, but you know, they're still important friends in my life. And I text them going, Hey, I just wanted to reach out and let you know that I'm glad that we're friends. And I do it pretty randomly and there's no rhyme or reason. It's just like, maybe I see something like I see uh, somebody uh, with an umbrella in the rain and it made me think of my friend, Aaron. So I texted him and I just told him that. And thankfully one of my friends, James said, you know, that does make you sound suicidal. And if I didn't know you better, I'd worry. <laughs> and I get why it does sound that way. Cause it sounds like, you know, I was saying goodbye, but really I was just trying to tell people out there, you know, Hey, I know we don't talk all the time, but sometimes I think of you and I'm glad that we know each other. You're a beautiful person, Mika. I try. I figure there's so much ugly out there. I better not add to it. But still, you're seriously a beautiful person. And I know that hearing it from one person doesn't always matter. But at the same no, it's time. Always, no, you know what? It always matters. It does. That's why I give it to other people. It, it does matter. And thank you. I appreciate that a lot. And I also love now, there's a lot of love on this podcast today, folks. Lots of love. It's going to be, it's going to be really lovey-dovey that I was not expecting, which is why there's so many pauses. Cause I was like, Oh God, sorry. No. This is, none of this is about what it's like working in my industry. No, but still, I just, it's, it's wonderful. I'm happy you shared it. And I completely understand the whole imposter syndrome thing. I, you have done so much in your life and I, I've only seen the tip of that iceberg, but I think you guys are doing an amazing job. Like, I can't think of another two-person team that could even tackle something as, like, queer representation in TV. Like, you guys have gone back literally decades to grab some of the stuff that we used to have to give us a database so we can see actually what it's like and what it has been like. Because if we're not seeing it in front of our faces, we so easily forget Right. And I mean, thank God for things like Shonda Rhimes, who's basically giving us a new queer to add every single week on one of her shows. God bless her. I mean, uh, she's she's doing some Lord's work. I don't know which one, but thank you. <laughs> um, some Lord's work. I've got it. I don't that. put anyone's religion on anybody. Um Okay, yes. actually, we'll be able to tie this back into to, to the original question that you were asking me, which was, you know, about my job and the things that I do. So imposter syndrome ties into this. Uh, one of the things that I do, and Tracy does as well, is we go to conferences and we give talks. I've seen some and, of your talks. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I saw well, the one that Tracy did at a, ooh, oh, what was it? The, was it Philly? the FAM one? I don't know. Was... Or, the, or the one at the, at the FEMCON? I think it was FEMCON. Okay. So talks like what she did, we actually do at technical conventions to talk about, uh, sometimes we use Let's Watch TV as a case study to say, look, you want to know what you can do with WordPress. That's the software that runs uh, our website. Here's something you can do with WordPress. It doesn't sound like WordPress. When you look at the website, you don't think, aha, that must be WordPress, but it is. And WordPress is content management system. It runs somewhere around 30% of the of websites on the internet right now, which is an astounding number to me to realize that this thing I picked up as a hobby that I use as a hobby that uh, I'm helping millions of people every week just by doing a few things. And it's, I, I'm a firm socialist in many, many aspects of my life. I think that if we all put in together, we all get out great things. And for me, open source software is really 
like the socialism of software of everybody puts in things to get what we need, but in doing so, we make something that is uh, larger than the sum of the parts, even if we can't see it at the time. So we go to all these conferences and we talk about WordPress and we talk about things that you can build on WordPress. And in my case, I also talk about uh, what, how do you decide what kind of web hosting you need? Because you hear people talk about, well, there's shared hosting and there's VPS hosting and there's managed hosting and all these things just sort of start to fly over everyone's head. So I, I gave a talk in Boston, uh, I think it was four or five years ago now, uh, that I jokingly called a tale of two servers. And because, yeah, you know, I'm literary, so I based <laughs> it on, on that. Um, but instead of like making it about two guys who happened to look the same, I made it about two websites that were very similar. And I used, I don't know why I did this. I used pictures from Sherlock through the whole slide set because I thought it was fun. <laughs> Sherlock, the... The newer BBC series um, right. with Benedict Slackback. Poor Benedict Cumberbatch. We're just <laughs> always going to make fun of his name. I and yes. it's right there, I know. But what I talked about was how do you know what kind of web hosting you need? How do you start to learn these things and make the decisions? And where do you, where's your first step? And uh, that was right after I started working at DreamHost. I've been there six years now. And one of the reasons they hired me was that I'm really good with WordPress and that I'm really well known in WordPress circles. And the other reason they hired me was that they said, well, can you do uh, talks and presentations at WordCamps? I was terrified because I'd never done this. I, I, I picked my high school. My dad wanted me to go to a high school in Ohio. Um, and I was terrified to go there because to graduate, you had to give a senior talk to the whole school. Uh, and literally, like, the basis of my decision was that. Oh, and here I am, you know, not even 20 years later, I'm going to get up on stage in front of a bunch of people and talk. So I'm like, you know what? Sure, I can do it. Scared to death of this. And then the first time I did it was after my interview with them, but before I started working, before they officially offered me the job. And they're in the audience. Oh, my God doing it at the biggest WordCamp in the world at that time. It was WordCamp San Francisco. And for all of my friends who were watching me, you know, they, they were like, why are you eating Tums so much? <laughs> and I got up and I only had a 15 minute lightning talk, no slides. I just stood up there and I talked for 15 minutes about how you can give back to a development community when you don't write code. Because that's something that people are like, well, I, I use WordPress. I love it. I want to help it. How do I help it? Okay, you don't know how to write code? Great. Here are some things you can do. You can write documentation. You can work in the support forums and help people. You can guide people to the answers. You can show them how to find things. And, you know, before you think, well, that's sort of nothing work, support technicians are the most undervalued and I would say overworked people in our community. Uh, second only to the five server admins who are keeping your servers going. It's weird. There are these two ends of the spectrum. The people that you always talk to work so hard to get everything to you, to get all that information to you. And the people who are fixing everything behind the scenes are similarly overworked and stressed out. And you, you'll never see those second group. And uh, I'm currently like in both, which is a weird oh place. To be. I know. Well, it's because it's what I'm good at. And I like it. 
you know, I, I work with tech support to figure out what's wrong. How do we fix it? Let's solve the problem. I work with the senior engineers. I'm a mid-level engineer at this moment and try to solve the problem so that we don't have them going forward and debug them. And then because I know the middle ground so well, I just, I'm there and I'm working on it all the time. And I mean, I just got back from Clexicon, uh, London and I had a vacation and it was great. And I got back and I was just excited to come back to work and jump into the thick of things. So I really do love what I do. Wow. You know, and as the saying goes, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, which I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> You definitely work. I mean, I've been, I've had weeks and months where I've been doing like 50 hour a week easy and I've been exhausted. I mean, I needed that vacation, but the thing is once I was rested, the fact that I came back and I wanted to do everything that tells me that I'm at least I'm doing the right kind of job and I'm going to keep doing it until I don't love it anymore, which has no end in sight. I mean, if that's what happens, you'll probably die first. <laughs> you know, I thought that of my first job. I used to work for a bank who will remain unnamed, um, not for any reason other than uh, it, it's part of the uh, NDA that I signed. Um, <laughs> they're not mentioning <laughs> them, which is hilarious because everybody know, who knows me knows who I worked for. Hmm. But uh, I liked the work, but I never really, like, dove into it and really dug it and wanted to do it. It was just sort of a job. And I worked there for 14 years, almost 15. Wow. And yeah, it is. And, you know, I mean, it says something about the entropy of human nature that we're like, well, it's not so bad. It had great health benefits. Uh, It was, you know, generally friendly. I didn't travel very much and I worked very set hours. I worked eight to four. There was no overtime for me. Um, they didn't want to pay for it. And, you know, I did a lot of different things. I learned how to do a lot of stuff with desktop computers. I, from there, I moved on to server work. And from there, I moved on to, to developing software and maintaining services. And it's all stuff that ended up helping me eventually. But, like, I just did a complete 180 career shift into something that, while still computers, had nothing to do with what I was working on before. And I imagine that eventually, one day, something like that will happen again, and that I'll find something that is still computers, but will fascinate me more than what I'm doing now, and I'll pivot and do that. And, you know, if I got really lucky, I could do Les Watch TV full-time, but I think it's more likely that I'd end up working on something that was actively trying to make the world a better place, be that politically or ecologically. I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. You're a beautiful person. (laughs) I'm an idealist is what I am. And I like to think that I can do good things, which is why my Jolene nags me when I'm not, I suspect. Oh, my goodness. She needs to shut up. (laughs) I've been to therapy before. And because understanding what's going on in your head helps you deal with it to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, And... When my grandmother died, I was kind of a mess, and uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, She was hugely important in my life, and it's even now, like, I have some of her stuff in my office, and I look at it, and I'm like, I really wish you were here, Taff, because you would just, you would find all this fascinating, and you would love to see the weird stuff that I'm doing. I mean, she would have loved Clexicon, 
because people in cosplay always delighted her. She loved the idea of it. And then to go to a place that was all women like that would have just been to her the highlight of, of a life because that's, you know, that didn't happen. She was, she was born in 1920 and she did a lot of crazy stuff, but when she died, it really kind of, it messed with me in a lot of different ways. And my mom told me, you know, every single day she still misses her dad and he's been dead for 42 years. And I've realized I'm never going to not miss her. And I'm never going to like, I'm probably never going to go through a day where I don't think about her at least once, but understanding why I felt the way that I did after she died helped me get through the bad parts of that. And so I still miss her and I still think about her all the time, but it's not just this crippling, I don't want to do anything. All I can do is be in grief. I could move forward because of acknowledging and accepting that these are, these are feelings that I'm going to have and they're feelings that are going to stay with me for a long time because she was that important to me. And that's a good thing. You know, I do miss her a lot though. I mean, it still bewilders me. I, mean, I don't understand how the world can keep turning. That's really, I, I don't know how to follow that up. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, taking us down a, down a sad path. Um, well, but it's, I, so it's I, not necessarily sad. I mean, it's, it's Oops. beautiful that she's inspired you so much. She was a cantankerous, alcoholic, crazy old bad of a lady. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to put this? She, That's love. she, she loved what she loved. She was. She would tell you that life's. A, she, she stole the quote, and I have to. I have to say this: that it comes from uh, uh, the story and the movie Auntie, uh, called Auntie Maine which is a Rosalind Russell movie and you should watch it because it is just absolutely fabulous. And if you want insight to what Taffy was like, she was like Rosalind Russell's mame in the movie, but uh, life's a banquet and most poor suckers are starving to death. That's a, that's a fun one. one. Also her idea of cleaning the house was to sweep it with a glance. Sweep it with a glance. Oh my gosh. That is a beautiful sentence. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know where she got that one. I'm, I'm sure that sounds like something someone famous said somewhere and she just appropriated it. Sweet <laughs> with a glance. Oh, my God. Okay. So did she have someone else clean her house? Yes, she did. She hired people to clean her house. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, well, she, she sounds... single two Fantastic. kids so really running her own business single mom of two kids so yeah she she actually did need to hire someone to clean the house because i gotta tell you my dad is a filthy hoyden he'd never do it oh my god <laughs> he's great uh but he's filthy oh my gosh his wife calls him a stinky man sometimes so oh my gosh i that seems to be a thing with geniuses would you would you say you follow in that trend at all no i shower every day that's not what i meant <laughs> No, it, it honestly, it's really just my dad. Um, nobody else in the family, and I would, I would, I would say that we've got our fair share of incredibly smart people in the Epstein family, and my father's the only one who's a filthy hoyden, and we don't know why. I was definitely a filthy child, but as it turns out, it was because I hated washing my hair. I had I have really thick hair, 
-hmm. And if uh, shower time meant I had to shower and wash my hair. It makes your arms tired. Right. And, but it also, it just took forever to dry and then it would get tangled and it was just such a pain in the butt and I hated it. Um, after I cut my hair short and then later found out you didn't have to wash your hair every day if it wasn't dirty, my life changed. Epiphany. <laughs> now I love sh showers are like some of my favorite time of the day. Get home from bike ride, take a shower, sprawl out on the bed. It's great. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's hilarious. Okay, we were we were trying to talk about your industry and it just went all over the place. Why don't you tell us more about how things are going with your website though? Uh with web uh we're almost at two thousand Twitter followers for Les Watch TV, which considering we do no advertisement whatsoever beyond word of mouth is phenomenal. Uh I have another Twitter account that I've had apparently for 10 years, according to Twitter, who emailed me that today. Oh, my God. And oh, I was one of the early adopters for Twitter. Um, and one of my other Twitter accounts has almost 5,000 followers. But that was for a website that's been around for a very long time. And, I mean, now it's the website. It, like, it can vote. It can drive. It can legally drink. <laughs> what is right? Uh, so it's for the actor, Georgia Fox. Uh, if you go to georgiafox.net, J-O-R-J-A-F-O-X, uh, it's got everything about her career and the work that she's done. We talked it. about this. We did talk about this. Um, I really admire her as a person in general. Uh, and she's one of the sweetest people I've ever met, too. Uh, she's just a, a, a darling, and she continues to drag me to vegan restaurants to insist that I become vegan. In this really nice way, oh which goodness. is, I mean, she's never pushy about it at all. She has her own agenda, but she doesn't shove it down your face, which is like, like the thing people say they hate about vegans is it's always about vegan. And she's just this exists as vegan in a way that makes you want to try more. That's I don't know how person. else. To, I, I know she's a wonderful person. Um, she filmed a pilot last year, or no, this this year. Uh, sadly, it didn't get picked up. Oh. Boo. And it was about like three women police officers who were all the chief of police for their areas in oh, California. Oh, no. I thought I heard I, about that. And it sounded so good, and they filmed the pilot episode. I'm trying to get my hands on it so I can see it um, <laughs> using my wiles. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I got a copy of the script uh, through friends who work in that business, and I found it hilariously, uh, it, it felt like, not like a Dick Wolf, Dick Wolf does all the law and order stuff. Um, mm -hmm. so it didn't feel like that kind of stereotypical cop show. It had that sort of levity that early CSI had that I really like in a show where it's a little tongue in cheek and they're kind of aware that they're silly. Uh, you know, not like Deadpool breaking the fourth wall, but still aware that, you know, we're taking some shortcuts here because it's television, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I really like that in a show because when they're too serious all the time, it's it just, it, it's a drag. Like, that's why I love Elementary, which is like the least queer show. It has one every once in a while that I watch, but it's got Lucy Liu, first of all, and uh, I'm just going to yes. watch. That's a reason to watch anything right there. 
But every once in a while, they need to do a thing, and it's like a really hard computer thing. See, we're going to get back to tech, I promise. Mm -hmm. And they use this group called uh, Everyone. And it's basically like their world's version of anonymous, only like really good people. And they make Sherlock do various things to humiliate himself, uh, usually on camera, in order to uh, curry favor with this group. And I absolutely adore that that's how they chose to break the fourth wall of, yes, this could be done completely regular ways, but if we knew an expert in this field, it would get done faster it's inconvenient to say Sherlock always knows experts in every field. Now we have a group that has experts in every field because they're everyone. And working in tech, see, I promised we'd get right back to that. Working in tech, uh, for the most part, you sit, you know, you sit in an office building. We have a, we have a half of a floor, two thirds of a floor uh, near where I live, and then we have another floor in an office building in LA. And we have offices in Portland, and we've got offices in Virginia. Is that right? Might be Atlanta. I know we closed down one. Um, but we have, you know, just about 200-ish people for the company. And we all sort of sit in the groups of people that you work directly with, but then adjacently with. So, like, I work for a team called the DreamPress platform team. And DreamPress is our managed WordPress hosting, which is these are servers that we built specifically to run WordPress and run WordPress fast. And I think for the most part, we've done that. There are always going to be edge cases where somebody's got a website that just does not play well on our server. And, you know, that's the reality of why do we have 17 billion car companies? Because not everybody drives the same. Why do we have 17 billion different web hosts like DreamHost or... Uh, uh, there's one that you might may have heard about because they did a bunch of commercials, GoDaddy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another one that one of my good friends works for called Liquid Web. Why do we have so many web hosts? Because no two websites run exactly the same way, even when they're running the same software, because you can do so much with it. And we accept that. We don't like the fact that we can't please everybody because that's less money for us, obviously. But we accept the reality. So my job on the DreamPress platform team is to make sure that everything we do is to make WordPress faster. Sometimes that means I get to learn a lot about how do we install WordPress faster. Sometimes it's how do we make the database that uh, WordPress uses run faster. This, this week, well, next week it's going to be uh, how do we get image, images to upload faster? Because that's a current problem that we've we've been facing where sometimes it gets slow and we found a way to fix it, but we don't like it. So we want to find a better solution. So I'm going to have to spend a lot of time uploading images. The wonderful thing about that is Les Watch TV is on DreamPress and I upload images for every single post I make. So gosh darn it, I'll have to add content to the website to test it. They're completely aware that I do this. In fact, I usually tell them, look, I'm going to be adding a bunch of data to Les Watch TV to stress test this specific change we made. Oh, okay, have fun. And I can like spend a day doing that because literally my job is to find the, the bottlenecks and fix them. And I can't do that unless I'm using the software. And the easiest way to use the software is to, well, use it. I could do automated tests, which I do do. Uh, I, I use automated tests all the time. But automated tests never seem to find the things that users do that are weird. And I found that I can reproduce things a little bit more reliably if I do, if I'm just doing it and it seems to work. 
So, you know, I, I, I have a nice new window seat now at my office. I love it. Um, I'm viewing a construction site right now, but it's got beautiful hills behind it. And, uh, I, you know, I clock in at about eight o'clock every morning and I play with WordPress and I play with servers. I talk to tech support to find out what have the users, customers been coming to us and, and saying is, is bad. Let's see if we can fix this. Okay, great. Let's move on. I try to solve problems for them and give them new tools to help them. I also talk to, usually I end up talking to accounting at least once because they want to know, wait a minute, what is this receipt for? Uh, oh, that was for the tax that I took in London. You know, I, because I travel for work. So I, I, I'm very familiar with our, with our uh, accounting team. I love them. Um, I also work with a marketing team because I have to go on podcasts sometimes for work. I go and give talks at WordCamps and I'm a face. So I go out to, you know, I was in uh, England twice this year for work to go out and to have a face put on DreamHost so that people go, oh, yeah, I know that American company. I, I, I've heard of them. And now when they think about it, they'll think of me and they'll remember, hey, this is a, you know, a human, a, a nice human works for them. Maybe there's someone I want to do business with. And, and that's difficult to measure the return on investments in, but it seems to be working all right. Um, yes, it definitely <laughs> does. I, I, I remember those classes as like, uh, the best way to get to a customer isn't necessarily through their wallet. It's through their heart. Right. And right. I like to think that we're doing a good job with that. Um, I mean, we're, we're a really small company compared to the other ones, other companies, my, my, my Amazon uh, Alexa thingy is looking at me now because I said the magic word to make it talk. Oh my God. Um, uh, we're, we're a really small company, especially compared to thing to the big ones. Mm -hmm. They, they have like a thousand employees. Sure. We have around 200. Oof. I mean, yeah. And the fact that we're able to keep up with them, one of the reasons I wanted to work for them, and I actually did have an offer from two other companies. Uh, one, the offer fell through because uh, they were based in another country, and the way that taxes would have worked out was not beneficial to either of us. But the other one I didn't want to work for because I had an ethical disagreement with their CEO. And uh now, their CEO no longer works there, and I have some very good friends who work for that company, and I'm sure it's great, but I worked for a big company for 14, 15 years, you know, when I worked at the bank. I didn't want to do that again. Yeah, and working I for, understand. Yeah. And working for something that's 200 people means that even though there are no other women on my team, uh, and this is, by the way, a problem that you're going to find in tech, unless you're working for a primarily female-owned company like Tracy's, um, good luck finding more than two women in your group. I've only had it happen a couple of times. Yeah, I, I know my mother faces the same thing. Like, we happen to work for the same company now, but she works in the IT department, and she's the only woman there. Yeah, it, it's constantly a problem. Since we've created the Dream Press team, um, with the exception of one of our project managers, I've basically been the only woman on the team for the last two, maybe three years, mm -hmm. something like that. And, and that's not abnormal. That's ridiculously common in, in the, once you get out of technical support and you're not in what I, what people like to call the, the soft technology skills, uh, the number of women 
drops. And soft it's soft technology skills. So soft technology is what people call things like technical support and people who write documentations, people who manage projects. People These who are building things. Right. And these are people who still actually have to have a good technical grasp on what they're doing. So, you know, I, I hate that people are like, oh, those aren't technical jobs. You know what? Sod off. Yes, they are. Yeah, these try are, and run it yourself. Go on. These are people who have to know how to diagnose a problem, to hand it over to the engineer and say, here's what I've found. I think this is where the problem is. Can you check for me and help? And most of the time, I, I'm going to go back and double check and make sure they did it right. But that's mostly because I'm what they call a haptic learner. I learn by doing, which means I'm really good at finding problems by finding problems as opposed to hearing what somebody else did and then just following their steps. I need to do it to get there, mm -hmm. to get my head in the right space. But um, most of the time I found that our technical support is really good when they come to me and they're like, this is what I've tried. I don't know what to do. Now, part of that is because the first two years I was here, every time somebody said, could you help me with a problem? And I'd say, okay, detail out to me exactly what you've tried already. And they realized that I'm going to make them work for, <laughs> for my help, but actually because I wanted them to understand what they were doing. So I would walk them through I'm like, okay, did you do this? All right. What does that tell you it means? Well, it means this. Okay, it actually means this. You were confused because of this. That Don't worry, that's normal. Everybody gets confused. So if you think it's this problem, where do we go next? And I'll walk them through thinking through the problem. Um, I don't have to do that quite as often anymore as I did because they've gotten in the habit of the user probably is telling me things in a way that isn't accurate. And this is not to say that your customer is going to lie to you when they come to you with a technical problem, but they're coming to you on the worst day of their life, mm -hmm. which is an exaggeration. But when you work in tech support, you don't see people at the happy moments in their life. You see people with the, look, my computer is on fire. What do I do? <laughs> Get a fire extinguisher, put it out, and then tell me what you see on the screen. Um, but people are coming to you with inaccurate information because they're scared because things aren't what they're used to. You've thrown them change when they weren't expecting it. And the people who are best at tech support are the people who love change, who like pivot on a dime and are totally happy with, well, that's not at all what I expected, but you know what, it worked, let's go with it. And they end up actually becoming some of the best engineers too. Wow. So, I was about to ask a question that's going to put us really deep in that rabbit hole, so I'm not going to go ask it. I was no, going to be like, what do you think we could do to change that, to put more women out there? And I'm like, this is not what we came to talk about. Oh, well, no, you asked me about uh, my field, and honestly, I was actually expecting that question. Uh, because that's a common question of how do we get more women in technology? And the answer is not a great one, because the answer is we need to push the there are two problems. Well, probably more than two, but there are two major problems. And the first problem is that technology is an unwelcoming environment for people who don't meet the uh, perception of what an engineer or a developer looks like. It's a, uh, it's an issue with confirmation bias. So if you if you work with all men and a woman applies for a job, she doesn't look like you and she doesn't sound like you and she doesn't act like you. You are less inclined to hire them 
not because, you know, you're a sexist or a racist or anything other than your brain is already used to these guys look like me. This person doesn't. They won't be a good fit. And it's endemic of our society. If you look at, you know, the elections that just went through, uh, there was this great little meme that people were throwing around with the emoji versions of the new House representatives. And they showed the Republican side, which was just mostly white guys. And then they showed the Democrat side, which was all over the place. And this is something that's bigger than just technology. It's, it's stupid that we have this problem because it's 2018 and women are just as good at math as men. And women are, I would actually say, better problem solvers than men in certain situations because we are so used to being told we're wrong that we're actually going to listen more. And men, they're going to listen, they're going to find what they think is wrong, and they kind of hang on to it, and they dismiss you. And women listen to the whole story. And, and it's part of how our culture was, our, cult, our American culture is uh, raised to think. But that's where the problem started. Once you're in tech, um, it's going to suck. <laughs> I don't yeah. know another way to put it. Yeah, I've heard I, stories from my mom all the time of her saying, okay, here's the problem, here's the thing, and immediately her boss will just say, like, whatever, whatever, I'll handle it. Like, he won't, he won't, he, like, he, like, thinks he knows it, and then he, like, dismisses her immediately, and she's like, that's not what I asked you for. <laughs> did you, uh, you watched the first season of Supergirl, right? Yes, I did. Remember what Kat Grant was saying when she was talking to uh, Kara about how you're going to have to work three times as hard for one quarter of the rep- of the credit? God, I miss her. Right. But the thing is that that is true of all, all fields and is very true of technology. Um, one of my really good friends, Helen, uh, when, when WordPress releases new versions, they nominate someone to be the release lead. And this is someone who makes all of the major decisions as to what goes into WordPress for this version, what's going to be included, what's going to be excluded, what the focus is, things like that. Helen has done two of them and she, which by the way means that she's the woman who's led the most, she's, she's led the most releases for a woman in the WordPress community, which is kind of tragic when you think that we've had as many as we've had and I've lost track now, but we've had quite a few. And the fact that only three I think have been led by women. It's sort of terrifying. It's terrible. Um, but recently somebody came up with a list and said, here are the people who per release made the most code contributions. And the way that those code contributions are measured are with a thing called commits, which is basically somebody else may have written the code, but this person pressed the button to say, and now it's included in WordPress. The people who did it were predominantly male, even on Helen's release. And somebody asked why that was. And Helen said, because every woman knows that their commits are going to be so heavily scrutinized by everyone and ripped apart more than it would if you were a man, that we're really careful and we don't do it very often. And she's not wrong. Uh, Publicly being a woman in technology, especially in open source technology, makes me a target. There are. There was a day not that long ago that I woke up to my phone buzzing until it fell off my nightstand because I was getting messages from people who were upset that supposedly 
I had said a thing. I hadn't said it. Somebody was misattributing something to me and it happens, but they just lit into me and I had to turn off direct messages on Twitter for my personal account for about a week because people were just DMing me. I like to keep it open so anyone can talk to me. Um, I had to turn it off. I, I just recently turned it back on and that stuff doesn't happen to men. It just doesn't. And it's, if you're going to be a woman in tech and you want to be successful, you're going to need a good support structure. You're going to need some good friends who are going to be there for you when you're freaking out and crying because why are all these people yelling at me? I didn't do anything. Why are these people treating me like this? Um, and you need backup. Finding some good allies, and I hate the fact that I have to rely on a man for this, but one of the things I do for WordPress is I review all the plugins. Plugins are add-ons that let you do extra things in WordPress. And basically, I review every single one that gets submitted. And every once in a while, people lose their minds on me for the stupidest things ever, like uh, telling them, no, you can't do this, your code isn't safe, and they just explode. And one guy actually made a credible threat to harm me uh, just last year. I have a guy that I work with, Otto, who helps me with all this, and he's often astounded. He's a good old boy from uh, Memphis, and he's like, why are people like this? Why are predominantly white, cis, Christian men like this? I mean, we narrowed it down to that. Wow. Right. I know. Well, we started making a tally of what, why people were crazy and in what areas, because Otto and I are kind of, sometimes we're not the best humans out there. Um, but, you know, we, we all have to blow off steam somehow. And the way that Otto and I do it is we make a list of how crazy people are. And then we laugh about it and move on. I would like to see these lists. We'd never share them in public. Ever. I understand. That is completely understandable. Yeah. I mean, I when I get hate mail, for the most part, I just delete it if it's personal hate mail. The hate mail we've gotten for Let's Watch TV, I keep, but only because uh, oh I'm actually... Oh my gosh. Oh, we Set them on fire. They are lies. No. We, we, I block their IP addresses. <laughs> I mean, you have the power. You have the power to do that. If, if they're that hateful, we don't need them. No, the reason that I hang on to those is that if it becomes a pattern, I'd like to be able to turn it over to the police. Because that would be a hate crime mm -hmm. um, targeting, you know, a queer website. Thankfully that hasn't happened yet, but I'm prepared I'm so for if it does. I'm so glad to hear that. No, I, literally we've gotten two, maybe three. I don't know. One we laughed about. He's like, you know, because it was a guy who was basically saying, don't call me gay. I'm like, dude, we didn't. What are you talking about? And what then, on what, earth? Was he like a part know. of the website? What? No. He's, he's just some random guy trying to hide who he was too, like doing like the using anonymous accounts. I'm like, yeah, no, I work in internet technology, dude. I know exactly who you are. I have your IP address. I have your email address. I have the proxy service that you were using to hide who you were. I know who you are. Wow. And that always terrifies people when I say things like that. Like if you leave a comment on my website, I can probably find out who you are and where you live. I'm not going to do those things because that's creepy. Yeah. But I mean, when you're leaving comments on people's websites, the whole reason 
that we track all those things, and I say this as a web host as well as you know someone who runs a website, is to protect ourselves because of crazy stuff like that. And when you're a woman in technology, it's worse. It the only other place I, I actually I don't know any other place I've seen it this this bad. I will say that women in academia run into the same problem where they're dismissed easily, they don't get promotions, and they get uh, paid a lot less. I'm incredibly lucky. I work for a company who respects me. They acknowledge my talents. And they're often worried that I do too much in just one area. And they're always making sure, do you want to try anything new? Do you want to do this other thing instead? Do you want to break from WordPress? Because they don't want me to burn out. And I think this is some of the highest respect I've ever been paid as someone who works in tech. But if you're crime. I know, and it's it's tragic. Um, and and I mean, I, I have this old story. Oh my gosh, let's see. This is maybe 15 years ago. We were working on a process at the bank, and we had to move from one code management system to a new code management system. And this, it doesn't matter what what the code management stuff was. It just was we had to move from per, uh, software A to software B. The vendor who wrote the software the new software, kept telling us it couldn't be done, it couldn't be done, it couldn't be done. So I sat down, I'm like, well, this is, you know, BS. The old system has an export tool. The new system has an import tool. If I can find a way to convert the export into the new import language, we can totally do this. It took me about two weeks, maybe three, to figure it out. And this was in my spare time at the office, you know, time I... I was watching code compile. This used to be a thing that you could just sit there and watch your computer compile code. I had a second computer uh, for legitimate reasons, so I would use that to work on this project. Figured it out, wrote the code, demonstrated it to my boss. My boss was impressed. We took it to the vendor. And when we went to sit in the room, there was me and two other fellas who work on the same code systems. And the vendor kept talking to them the whole time. And finally... uh, the guy who was sitting right next to me got exasperated and he turned to me and he said, why aren't you asking her these questions? She wrote the script. And that, that was my norm before I came to work for dream host. And now my norm is not that, that if I say, no, no, this is a really bad idea because of X, Y, Z, it's probably going to fail because of this, or maybe, you know, Oh, this is really good. Let's just change these things. They'll listen to me and they'll, they, they understand and respect and acknowledge. And I wish everybody did this, but they don't. I completely, it's, oh, that's, it burns me up inside. It burns me up inside to hear these stories, but I'm glad you finally got the recognition you deserve. And I think I, I definitely seen that happen recently to my wife, unfortunately, because we went to a place where she was getting her horse to go into training she knows sure. how to do the training herself, but she doesn't because we've unfortunately had complications and it's best like not to have her well-being in jeopardy during that time. And if you can pay some rowdy cowboy to do it for you, then why not? Sure. So we took our, yeah, we took our horse to training and we were talking to the trainer about what he needs and he kept trying to push this supplement onto our horse. 
Now my wife has a biomedical degree in chemistry. Like she was almost <laughs> oh a freaking God. doctor. She knows so much about horses. And the only reason she doesn't have a veterinarian's degree is because she doesn't want to have to go into school for four more years to say that she knows this crap. But she already knows. And he literally kept trying to push the supplement onto her. And she just just nod and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And wait until he was done. And then we would leave. And I was like, why didn't you tell him that was bullshit? And she's like, because he's going to be training my horse and there's no point fighting with him over this. And she's, and I'm like, but honey, you have a British accent. He's going to listen to you. <laughs> but she's, she's right because. She's absolutely right. What, this is, we have to make a decision. Is this something I'm going to fight over? Or is this something that will cause me more trouble if I fight over it? it? It's this problem that women have, you know, when we go to, when we go out at night. So I, I, I travel for work. Sometimes I go to what we call after parties, after conferences. Mm -hmm. My wife is constantly terrified that I'm going to be jumped when I come home. Somebody's going to do something. I mean, I don't drink at these parties at all ever. That is like, just, that's my rule. Nope. I'm a woman traveling by herself. If I'm happen to be sharing a room with Tracy or my friend Courtney, maybe I'll have a drink, but that, but then she and I will be together, you know, and that's a different story. But I was constantly, you know, are you paying attention when you're walking around at night? Are you looking at things? Do you know what's going on? I pay so much attention to where I am and where I'm going that I've memorized cities and safe ways to walk home. And I've only been there once. Holy <laughs> because. Cow. Well, right. Well, I mean, part of that's just because that's how my brain works and it remembers things. We went to a, a camping event in Indiana once and we drove from Illinois to Indiana. And uh, two years later, we decided we're going to go again. And we're driving. My wife's like, I can't find the directions and my phone isn't picking up a signal. Oh, my God, where do we go? I said, oh, no, keep going down this road. It's another couple miles. She just looks at me. She's like, OK. I said, keep going. OK, see that white building up there on the left? We're going to go to the next road past it where there's no stoplight, but there is a left turn. Take that left. She's like, we were here once. You've done this drive once. You don't even like driving. How did you do that? <laughs> I hate driving. And I just, I do. I ride my bike and I pay attention to what's going on around me because, not because I don't trust people, but because I know statistics and That's I know that it's thing. one in five women and I'm determined not to be that, that person. That's another thing that men, for some reason, they're beginning to understand, but like they just, it's so hard for them to grasp what it's like to walk around and have to worry about your safety constantly. And the fact that you go to conferences and your wife's terrified that someone's going to jump you. I am well, so I mean, terrified I'm a, now. I'm an openly queer woman who's Jewish. And if you, if you see me, you look at me and you're like, yeah, she's Jewish. My I name is what a Jewish person is. Like, I'm <laughs> my, sorry. It's okay. I have very Semitic features. My name is Mika Ariella Epstein. I really would have to work hard to convince somebody I wasn't Jewish. And you know, people ask, oh, are you coming to this event? No, I can't. It's Passover. I didn't go to Clexicon because of Passover. You know, it's not something that it's a secret. It's also not a secret I'm a lesbian. I'm a woman. That's also a little bit difficult to disguise. Not that I would want to. I have an F cup. I'm just sort of doomed. You're going to notice. Oh, my God. Right. And But I'm three minorities together. And I went to a conference in South Carolina 
Oh God. I was in Raleigh, South Carolina, you have to understand, which is a very gay friendly city. Oh good. I I've turned down I was asked to come to a conference in Moscow and I turned it down. That's uh for good reason. Right. But my friend who's Russian didn't quite understand it. And Sergei and I were chatting and he's like, but I don't understand how come you can't go. And I finally said, Sergei, I'm a Jewish lesbian. I'm illegal in Russia. Uh-huh. I can't go without risking my life. I'd love to go to Russia. You have no idea. I would love to see this beautiful country where some of my ancestors are from. I'd love to see, you know, all of this wonderful architecture, this, this gorgeous place and I can't go because it's not safe and he gets it now but at the time it it was just he never thought about it and it I, god I wish I could be that ignorant <laughs> but yeah. I mean what worries my wife though is that I appear to be pretty casual I I've been I lived in Chicago on my own for a decade um I live you know in a nice part of town, but I had to cross because it's Chicago. You got to cross bad parts of town to get to the nice parts of town. I walk with purpose. I walk as if I'm not paying attention to appear non-threatening and also to appear uninteresting. And because of that, sometimes it looks like I'm not paying attention. That is very rarely the case. The only time I might not be paying attention is when I'm with my friend Tammy because she takes me down these wonderful side streets of England. And I always joke, like, Tammy's going to take us down some crazy side street where we think we're going to be killed by Jack the Ripper, but it's going to be the best vegan restaurant you're ever going to eat at at the end of it. Oh, my God. I don't know how she does it, but she does. Uh, In one case, it was actually we had the best tea we'd had in a very long time. Oh, I'm jealous. I know. Tammy's great. (laughs) So jealous. We were supposed to talk about Klexicon, but I cannot yeah. diverge from this conversation. Well, it is very interesting. Well, now we can talk about Klexicon because I just talked about England because Tammy would take me to tea in England. Mm-hmm. Look, I gave us an in. Um, oh, my God. No, I... Go for it. Okay. Well, actually, I can give you another in, which is that completely different to all of the crap you deal with in tech. I've been to a lot of conferences. I've been to a lot of comic conventions. I used to go to San Diego Comic Con in the 80s. My dad and I would just take a day off of work and school. We'd go down and have a great time. Clexicon London, knowing that it was considerably smaller than than full-blown Clexicon in Las Vegas, my mind was blown. Really? Because, I, in a good way, I have never been surrounded... I've never been the majority in that many people in my life. The closest I can say is that I'm a majority when I'm at any comic convention because, well, geeks are everywhere. But women, queer women, everywhere. And it was just, it was mind-blowingly wonderful. And I I feel bad now because Tracy's very first fan convention was Clexicon Las Vegas. And I'm like, oh my God, that's just like throwing the guppy into the ocean. (laughs) She had no idea what she was in for. I barely had any idea what I was in for. And I'm a regular at conventions and I've already done, I've I've had a press badge and gone to WonderCon and I've been to, you know, uh, fan conventions before like uh, TGI Femme Slash, which is in Southern California. It'll be in February. There's something different about Clexicon 
TGI Femslash is great because it's all queers. Uh, and that one crosses the gender binary uh, completely. Excuse me, you have men, women of all shapes and sizes, basically. All that they care is that you love Femslash. When you're at Clexicon, it's like that to the extreme. But then it's not just people who are bonded because of Femslash. It's people who are bonding because for the first time in our lives, we're at a convention that celebrated us. Just us. And it's beautiful. <laughs> I think everyone should go, but it I think you should all be beautiful. aware that you're going to be waiting in line a long time to do some, some of the things that you might want to do. Oh my gosh. I don't even know. I, I want to go so bad for next year. And I'm like, how do I organize what I need to do? Cause well, I went... step one. Yes. Step one is you apply uh, step one in your case, because you are a well-known podcaster. Now you apply for a press pass and say that you're going to interview people. And then you do it by the way. Uh <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Nicole Payson was interviewing people for her podcast while she was there. Yes, the coming out podcast. Yes. Uh, she was asking you know, people, tell me your coming out story. And she did that until her batteries died. Oh, my God. I know. It's great. Um, but if you're a regular person, hopefully you were able to pick up tickets. Uh, I think there may still be some for sale for the regular. You don't need to be a VIP to enjoy it. Yes, yeah, being VIP. a VIP. Suckers went out in like 11 minutes flat. They were gone. And people like, oh my God, how could that happen? There must be people shilling. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Comic-Con sells out in like five seconds flat. Jeez. So, I mean, don't even think. This is, this is the exact same thing because it's people who want to be with their people. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what kind of system you have set up. It's not ready for that. Oh it God. just isn't. The Comic-Con one crashes every single year. It just does. Um, and I know people are like, oh, there's some weird conspiracy. There are people that are robots, blah, 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 blah. People yeah, there might be. Robots. No, they're honest to God from a tech perspective. Yeah, sure, there might be. The reality, though, you know, let's take the simplest solution. Simplest solution is you got 5,000 crazy queer ladies who want tickets to this thing. <laughs> That's what's happening. 5,000 people are hammering something to get a ticket. Um, do you need to be a VIP to enjoy everything you want to do? I got to tell you, if you're a VIP, you're probably still going to miss out on some of the things you want to do because you can't be in six places at once. I could have cried when I found out that I was on a panel when Jamie Clayton was in the press room, though. Oh, my God. She's just so amazing and funny and gorgeous, and my jaw dropped when I walked past her. I have a crush on Jamie Clayton, everyone. This is not a secret. <laughs> That's okay. That's me and half the middle-aged actresses out there. So, I would have been so happy if they could have gotten Bernie and Serena to come to Clexicon London. Because oh I, I would have thought that, look, you can have older, older lady actresses. I hate saying older. They're not older. They're like 10 years older than I am. But you can have ladies that are mature and having a love affair. And oh my God. God, they're so gorgeous together. Why can't we have that? But it's hard to get um, everyone you want to come to a convention. Yeah. Yeah. Even but, though in England, it's like, what, a four-hour drive no matter where you are? <laughs> like, that was the funniest thing. So I, I was at a conference in Manchester for work. And then my wife and I took the train from Manchester to London. And everyone's like, oh, it's a really long train ride. And my wife and I are like, oh, like, 
like four hours, six hours. How, how long is this train? And they start looking at it. It's like, no, it's two hours. That's like long. two hours. Two hours is how long it takes me to drive to Los Angeles most of the time. And oh. I live in Anaheim. Oh For everybody who's looking at a map right now and thinking, wait a minute, that's less than 30 miles. You're right, it is. <laughs> I can't understand traffic in California, like, ever. Like, it takes me three hours probably every day to go to work and back. And I'm just, like, in Texas, that's understandable. Because, like, it takes me almost eight hours just to get to the Gulf where there's water. So... I mean, but still, it's. I mean, I'm I'm crazy. the in, I'm the inland part of uh, Orange County, who's finally gone blue. Woohoo! Uh, yeah, I know it's terrifying. <laughs> My district was the last one to. We're still like a question mark, but the. Question uh, mark. Well, no, because the the vote is separated by like three thousand votes. I just the voting system is so awful. I know, but they're still counting, so I'm 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 pleased. Um, but. I live in the inland part of, of Orange County, and it takes me a little bit of time to get to the ocean every if I want to go. But I also live, you know, four miles from my office, so I ride my bike. It takes me 30 minutes, and that's with hitting every single stoplight and changing when I get to the office. Oh, my God. Right. I think that's a reasonable commute. I mean, uh, you're talking – did you say four hours by car, 30 minutes by bike? Did I miss No, 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 no. Okay. No, no, that's if I go to Los Angeles. If, okay. uh, we have offices in L.A. If I, if I go to L.A., actually, I'll take a train, and it'll take me, uh, I want to say, an hour, 15 minutes. And that's a 15-minute drive to the train station. The train is about 45-ish minutes, uh, and then I walk, like, five minutes to get to the office from the train station. That is when I go to the LA office. When I go to my local office, which is just in the next town over, it's a 15-minute drive or a 30-minute bike ride. Exercise is good for you. I specifically didn't want to live where I had more than a 45-minute commute. That was my break point. Yeah, I don't blame you. Driving is ugh after a while. And I mean, I could have stayed in Chicago. They would have been all right with that. But I'm not really good at working remotely. I'm okay at it. But I like going into an office and seeing people and getting out of my house and doing same, a thing. Same. I had to work remotely last week and I was only here for like five days and I was like, I have to leave this freaking house. Right. You get like, I get up, I go downstairs and make coffee. I put on like clothes, clothes. I'm not like working in my jammies, but still there's something else. And also there is still a value on face to face time. Mm-hmm. And even companies like automatic who does a, they own WordPress.com. They're huge. They put a lot of time and money into WordPress. I love them. A lot of my friends work there. Um, they're 100% remote. But, but two times a year, people who are on the same team will have what they call meetups, where they all get together and work together for like a week or maybe two and have that quality FaceTime where they understand each other in person. And I find that once you have that and you've worked together in person, you start to hear the other person's voice when you're typing, talking to them. And you start to see their facial expressions when they, when they write things out online. And it gives you a deeper connection because we're humans and we're still social creatures. So even though I do think that remote work is the way of the future, I do think that we're always going to need some of that face-to-face time just to get the human connection. And that goes all the way back to tech. And why is it so important for me to go to these weird events in, you know, England and Raleigh, South Carolina? Because faces matter. 
And putting a face on a thing gives you a connection to it. And we need those things. And we need them in Clexicon too, because now all these people have faces of fans that are just like them. And that love things that they love with the same fervor and passion. And it's just so nice. <laughs> It sounds so beautiful. I cannot miss out on next year. Are you, are you seriously telling me there might not be a lot of tickets left? If I go and look and there's none, I'm going to cry. I think that they have like the regular day tickets left. I just don't know how. I know that they sold out of VIP in like 20 seconds. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't paying attention because I'm reasonably confident that I'll be getting a press pass. <laughs> yes. I mean, I just had one, so. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I wrote, and I was on panels and everything, so I'm pretty sure I'll be you know, going. And that's so exciting. How did it feel to be on a panel? I've been on panels for work, work before. So this isn't work, work. No, this wasn't work, work. Um, one of the hardest things about being on a panel is remembering that you need to shut up. Uh, (laughs) I feel that when I'm talking to people, period. Well, right. Well, so you're doing a podcast. So your job is to guide an interview. And when you're doing a panel, the moderator's job is to guide the panelists. And if you're a panelist, your job is to not talk more than everybody else. Oh, that's so hard. I know it's really hard, but I was trying to be very respectful and not over talk people. And I think I did that. All right. Tracy said I did. So I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> she watched, she watched the panel. Lex's, I was on two panels, Lex's legacy and then LGBT representation on television in the UK. By the way, that's such a weird one for me to be on because we've got, you know, uh, I think we had a, uh, a Scottish woman and two Brits and me. And I was late because I was in the press room uh, getting uh, an interview with someone. And then I was running up the steps and like skidding in with two minutes to go. So I sat on the end, which meant when they wanted to start the questions, they looked down the line and started at me. And I'm like, oh, please don't start with me. I'm an American. I, just I know here. a lot about, no, I know a lot about British television for an American. Yeah, you three are going to knock me out of the water and that's fine. <laughs> I do know a lot about British television for an American though. I love British television. I love it too. I like how it's not imposed by the same standard of beauty that we put on our television it makes it feel real but at the same time it makes it look just like do you need to be that gritty i don't understand well i mean compare an american soap to a british soap on a british soap people look their ages on a british soap people aren't classically beautiful they're just you know blokes on an american soap well there's a reason that we call it soap opera hair oh my god yeah but the other thing that, that's really different with British soaps and American soaps. So British soaps air at night. Do they? Yeah. You watch them at night. So after you've had dinner, you sit down and the family watches EastEnders or Coronation Street. Maybe you're watching, you know, Brookside. You sit down, you watch television together. These are shows that are aimed at families a little bit more than a soap opera is. It's not for the bored housewife who's stuck at home. It's for anybody who's home. Men, women, doesn't matter. Lots of people love soaps. On top of that, they have, uh, so you know how like in America, after uh, the the show that airs at 10 o'clock is the show that's going to have the the raunchy stuff? Yes. Like like CSI airing not at 10 o'clock was just, oh my God, how are you doing this? That was really on edge. Um, 
And of course, you know, how to get away with murder has to air at 10 o'clock because there is no way you could show that before 10 o'clock. That show goes into horrifying things. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, I do. I love, I love that we have a bisexual black lead on that show. And that's just, yeah, she's Annalise moving on. She's pretty. She's gorgeous too. Viola Davis can, can murder me any day. <laughs> um, but so on a British soap, they have what's called watershed. Uh, pre-watershed are the shows that are meant for families and for everyone to enjoy. And if you take a look, a lot of their soaps air pre-watershed. This includes things like Holby City, which has, as I previously mentioned, uh, Bernie and Serena, uh, a nice middle-aged lady love affair. So beautiful. Everyone should go watch that. The point is that they film these things and they aim them for families. They have them with real-looking people, not stunningly American soap opera people. They have more queers than we do. Yeah. Like way more queers than we do. Like I'm often amazed that I have any queers at all to add on to an American soap. And they've got like 10 and they don't care. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they'll kill them with a helicopter, but you know, whatever. That's, <laughs> That's yeah, they did. Though. Well, yeah, it's a soap opera. You kind of get used to it and they treat everyone pretty fairly, you know, as you do in a soap opera. Happy people, sad people. Oh, your relationship is the focus. Oh, God, something's going to happen to you. And that's okay because, you know, you're watching a soap opera. You kind of expect it. Don't worry about it. And, you know, I, I came out of it and, and everyone was telling me, you know, I was going to say the British representation is terrible. But really, it's actually phenomenal compared to the United States when you look at it percentage-wise. I had my notes somewhere, but I think I just cleaned those off my desk. No, um, that's fine. I mean, I completely agree with you. I unfortunately had that summer while I was really into soap operas, and it was like, great, I have two things to watch. That's right. It. And, and it's like, yeah. so it's so difficult to want to watch it because they will have, like, they'll have maybe a two, three minutes, three minutes and a soap opera, and then you have to wait a whole nother week to figure out what's going on with their story. I don't understand how people even focus on that at all. They don't really air them that way in, uh, in, in the UK either. I've noticed, uh, when I was there, I was watching, you know, I watched two weeks of soap operas. I was delighted. <laughs> <laughs> we got back from whatever we were doing. My wife would be like, I need to sit down for a minute and catch my breath. We've been walking a lot. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to watch a soap. Yeah. And she'd have a bit of a, uh, of a rest and I'd watch a soap opera and I'm watching and they tell stories in blocks. So, like, the actresses who play Bernie and Serena are famous actresses. I mean, these are ladies that, one of them's on Doctor Who sometimes. These are ladies that do stage work. They are not, it would be like having George Clooney show up for, you know, two months to do the show. Holy shit. I know. It's that level, though. And and when that happens they're only available for a short amount of time. So they film blocks of episodes. So you'll get their whole story for like three weeks and then they're gone for, you know, six weeks, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe six months. And that's okay because you got your story in a block and you don't have to wait for it week after week after week. If those are the episodes you're really, really interested in, you know, when you can watch and they don't hide when they're on the show and when they're not. So people can kind of like, they can watch what they want to watch. Yeah, they're and, not forced to watch every freaking episode to see if they're on. 
Right. And then it gets even better, though, because that means that as the show runs, they can say, okay, these episodes did really, really well. These episodes did really, really badly. People seem to like middle-aged lesbians. Holy How do we shit. capitalize on this? How? And that's, right? <laughs> but that's but that's the thing, you know, you can look at the statistics. And like I said, I like statistics. I like numbers. I like quantifying things. And that's why I wrote all the stats stuff for, for Les Watch TV. I wanted to know what it all meant. Was my gut feeling right? And by the way, yes, my gut feeling was right. <laughs> I thought things were getting worse over time. And I was like, well, this can't be. We're getting more and more queers and fewer are dying. How can things be getting worse? And then when I sat and looked at, you know, just U.S. Uh, network shows, I realized we're losing queers. Shows are being canceled. The characters are leaving and not coming back and being replaced. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I'm really glad that you guys have your website because that's exactly what people need to see. Because I love when you're like, oh, I like this show because of this. And they're like, but there's a gazillion gay people out there. And I'm like, what are you talking about and where? Where are you seeing them on TV that this per that this character is now inflicting on your life? Like, Oh, my where? gosh. I, I, I have had one person say that to my face. Someone I know said, but there are millions of gays on television. Just someone I happen to know. And he said it and I looked at him. I said, okay, list the shows. Couldn't list a damn one, could he? He listed two. And then he stopped and he looked at me and I said, yeah, I can tell you how many are on TV right now. Okay. A couple of hundred. It's, it's a couple of hundred actually. But the thing about that is that that number is a little bit skewed. Um, there are about 200 shows at any one given point in time in the world that have had at least one queer character on air today. The problem with that statistic, though, is that it's like Doctor Who. Doctor Who doesn't have a regular queer, although they've had one in you know two of their uh, episodes in this newest season. I love Doctor Who so much. <laughs> yes, I, I can tell. I love, I love your live tweets. I just, I, the fact the doctor is a woman is so important. Yes. And people, like every time there's any sort of change ever in the female space, for some reason, it's a majority of white men that just jump up and start yelling about it. And it's like, you weren't even here to begin with. <laughs> like, leave. <laughs> I'm like having She-Ra flashbacks again. I'm sorry. Oh, she Have you watched it? I have yet to watch it, but I literally showed my mother it, and she actually watched She-Ra when she was younger. And she was like, yeah, it's because She-Ra looks like a boy. And I'm like, does it freaking matter? And she was like, She doesn't look like no. a boy. She looks like a, a young adult. Exactly. Like, I'm like, boobs. I'm just like, how do you think it looks like a boy? She's young, mom. It's for kids. God. And she was like, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. Like, it, it took her, but the fact that she was arguing is that so many men would care. And I'm like, you do not live on the internet. You do not understand how much it apparently rocks the world to have a single itty-bitty thing not catered to them. Ever. You've got to walk. Well, it was never catered to them in the first place. He-Man was catered to little boys. Hold on to that thought. Just just, just hang on to it because that's always a thing that messes He-Man is aimed at boys. Like, hmm, super, super muscular butch dude aimed at guys. <laughs> yeah, okay, carry on. 
Shira was always aimed at, at girls. Always. The whole series. I didn't like it when it first came out, mostly because I thought He-Man was stupid. I'm like, oh, look, the mysterious, oh, they finally found her missing twin sister that they've never mentioned before. Ew. I, I love was, that plot twist. I was perhaps a little bit over well read as a child, so that particular plot twist pissed me off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like, oh come on, that's just like it is in, in Dickens. And my dad's like, you can't say that, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I hated Charles Dickens, by the way. This is like my it, it's always amusing to my family that I just I couldn't stand him. I thought he wrote too many he took too long to get round to the subject. And then my dad explained to me that he was being paid by the chapter. Damn. Like, oh, so he's writing fanfic. Ah! I mean, seriously, though, these, these these guys were being... Melville, too, and, like, you wonder, why are these old guys such windbags? They were being paid by the damn chapter. If they could make the book longer to get more money, they were gonna do it. And you can't blame them. No, jeez, I wish they had that system today. Yeah, well, I guess you kind of could do that on Patreon, but then you got to do it all yourself, and ugh. ugh. I mean, but but zines are really not. I don't know. Zines were, would have been an idea where you could have done that, but uh, my favorite story of 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 Dickens stuff is that at the time that he was really really popular, the boats would be coming in from England, and people at the docks would be waiting. For the, news, for the stories that had been printed in England to be shipped across the ocean. And they'd be standing at the docks waiting, waiting. And as soon as the sailors would pull up, they would shout, did so-and-so live? Mm. Oh my God, humans haven't changed in the slightest because now, you know, How to Get Away with Murder's Fall Finale aired last, uh, on Thursday. And, you know, I'm in California, so I'm three hours behind. And the second it finishes airing, I'm like, did so-and-so live? Oh my god! And I'm like, that person standing at the docks. But humans just don't change, you know. We don't. That's the thing I think about spoilers too. People are like, oh, don't, don't, don't spoil things. I'm like, there's a difference between a spoiler that ruins one's enjoyment of a story, and a spoiler that doesn't. Exactly. I feel that way every time there's a queer character on TV. I'm just like, I'm gonna wait till the end of the show, and then it's gonna have somebody tell me if it's worth it. Which is well, you. I will tell you that the queers are worth it on uh, She-Ra. Yeah, I saw a lot of them. Like I kept seeing like queer after queer after queer, and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Netflix is doing good. There are two official queer characters on the show. Mm -hmm. That said, there's an episode where the title is Princess Prom, and that is the gayest rom-com I have ever seen in my life, and I want an entire movie like a kid's movie based on something like that to be on Netflix as just, you know, movie of the week, because I think it's, it was beautiful and brilliant. And I had to hit pause to keep, because I was laughing so hard. I started coughing again. I literally have seen so much fan art from that episode. I'm just like, I'm actually convinced that one of those characters is gay, which I know that they're probably not. I'm convinced they're gay. And I <laughs> usually person. I mean, you know, I like to joke, the last time I really shipped uh, straight couples was Joe and Blair on The Facts of Life. I mean, they might, I've seen your guys' argument. In my case, they were gay. All right, I've seen your argument. They were gay. If somebody made the show today, they were gay. If somebody had made the show in the 90s, starting in the 90s, like Xena, 
they were gay. The fact that they were started in the 80s, I have to say they weren't. Oh. And well, so so you know that that goes to the other thing of uh, subtext versus um, queer baiting. I love that article that you did. Oh my god! Yeah, so for those who are wondering, I wrote an article um, that it's not okay just to say that they're gay. I did that for the alliteration. I love how when that worked out that way. Um, but it was basically how do you understand the difference between queer baiting subtext and you know. When is it okay and when is it not? And Tracy would argue that it's never okay to be subtext. It's never okay to queer bait. Uh, either say that they're gay or get out. And there are moments where I look, I, I completely agree with her. And then I also look at things like uh, Xena, which was hamstrung by the networks. And they tried so damn hard to be so gay for us. I mean, come on. Yeah. They couldn't do it. But I yeah. look at then things like Rizzoli and Isles, and I want to go through and punch people. Because for crying out loud, pictures of them handcuffed together, they shared a bed together, they went on vacation. The, the series ends with them going off to Paris together. But they're straight. Yay. Right, thank you. But, you know, that's, that's queer baiting. Xena was subtext. And now we have... Although I can't, I, I can barely call it subtext anymore. Uh, the good, uh, the good place. The um, mm-hmm. I was about to say the Veronica Mars story. <laughs> Kristen, Bell, uh, Kristen Bell's show, and wherein yes. she plays a bisexual, and she does play a bisexual, and I've seen the show, and it's right on that edge where if I went in with the eyes saying everybody's straight, which is sadly the heteronormativity of the world, um, people would go, yeah, she's straight. And if I went in with my nice queer eyes, I would go, no, that is a bisexual. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. And if I went in with the skeptical eyes of Tracy, I would probably say that she was straight. Um, Tracy's oh. a hard sell. She can be a real hard sell. I love her. <laughs> but she's a hard sell. She, and, and I agree with her on this. It's not enough just to say the show was gay. It's not enough to say, oh, yeah, Eleanor is totally gay. You can tell by these scenes. The only time it's okay to leave it as subtext is when you have a show like Sense8. And that only works because they're all having pansexual orgies with each other, for God's sake. I've yet to see that show, and I'm waiting to get Nikki's verdict on it when she's done. I think we might have broken poor Nikki with that show. Uh, Oh my god. Nikki writes queer beats for us. She used to have a podcast called Harold They're Lesbians. And Nikki was like trying to decide what to watch next. And Tracy and I were like, Sensate, Sensate, Sensate. Because it's one of those shows that once you get into it, you're stuck in it. Oh God. I'm it's like <laughs> it's like Person of Interest, which is a sleeper show. Person of Interest, you watch and you're like, Yeah, okay, it's about these two guys, whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, hello, Shaw. <laughs> That's everyone, by the way. Um, but the thing is, is even with just those two guys, that show is amazingly interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's something I would say all the time of a CBS show. Uh, <laughs> actually, that's quite impressive. But Sense8 <laughs> is... Sense8... Lana Wachowski is officially my idol when it comes to directors at this moment in time. That woman visualizes scenes so well and when I go back and I look at her other works 
and I own Bound because I'm a lesbian and it's contractually obligated oh that God. that's one of, that that's one of the movies you're obligated to own. Just get over it. Go shopping now, ladies. It's on Amazon. Um, <laughs> I own Bound, and I had a VHS tape of Bound before I owned it, and because it had aired on HBO, and for some reason, wherever I was staying had HBO and a VHS machine, and I recorded that sucker off HBO, and I watched it till the tape died. Wow. Not for the lesbian sex scene, but because the cinematography blew my mind. I could not believe that these, at the time, these, these guys could see the world like that, that they knew how to angle the camera, how to evoke the feeling, the whole thing except for the part where Shelly gets his fingers cut don't watch that part that's terrifying oh my god I know it's it's, it's this horrifying scene and then you watch the matrix and I yes I know the matrix the first matrix movie has amazing visuals like when he stops the bullets and everybody really focuses on that scene but the thing that you're not that most people aren't thinking of they're thinking oh look at the special effects and I'm thinking look at the way that they wanted to tell the story with the colors with the lighting and then I look at Sense8 and I realize how much of that was Lana Wachowski, just her. Because she did the second season and the movie, basically, she was the director. Um, Lily was taking a break to work on her transition at the time. You can see Lana's artistry and how she frames a shot and how she embraces the colors of each area. One of the reasons that that show was so expensive to film is that she did it on location and she's got these people and she's embracing the culture and the feeling and the visuals of every different country she was in when she was filming this. And it is just astounding. She has an eye. She should be having awards thrown at her for these things. And it just kills me that nobody, nobody's doing that. Lana, if you ever happen to listen to this, I would... I would love to interview you because I, how do you see the world like this? It's so amazing. If she listens to this, I'm going to faint and die. <laughs> she won't really die. I promise. She might faint though. I mean, I will faint and die. <laughs> I, 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 I just, I wish that I could just tell her how impressed I am with, with her eye. I love the finale so much too, especially because of the last shot of the finale. If you haven't seen it, know that I think the last shot of that series is the best shot ever. It's just like this big F you to all the conservative, uh, evangelical anti LGBT people in the world. And it's, it's gorgeous. And if you have seen it, you're probably snickering with me right now. <laughs> okay. We can continue talking about this forever, but we've, we almost just gay things in general and I love hearing you tell stories period like I probably cut this up into like two episodes I probably could but then Tracy would be jealous because hers would not be as long (laughs) sorry Tracy (laughs) but we might have to start wrapping this up because it's almost been two hours oh my gosh I know I love that when that happens it's happened to Tracy too she also looked it down her clock and went whoa what time is it But um, I do have one thing I would like to do before you go. You got Um, it. I have done, I have started doing this uh, series. It's more like a a guest to guest question 
where I've okay. asked my guest from the last podcast to ask a question for my guest for this one. Oh, but, but Tracy knew I was the next I know. person. This it's, isn't fair. It's not fair. <laughs> I know it's not fair. And her question was rather specific. Oh, I hate you, Tracy. I love Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. All right. All right. Lay it so, on me. Her question to you was, what is the wildest story you have from your days at an all-girl boarding school? The wildest story I have from my days at... Okay, so I went to an all-girls... I did not go to an all-girls boarding school, Tracy. I went to a co-ed boarding school, which is going to make this even more spectacular. Oh uh, the wildest story that I have... Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this properly. So boarding school has lots of rules about what you can and can't do because you're away from home because you're minors and on all those wonderful things. And one of the uh, rules that they came up with at some point in time was that you couldn't be shirtless. Now, if you're a woman, you're like, yeah, of course I'm not going to be shirtless. But what they meant was you couldn't strip down to just your sports bra either. And they included the athletic field on this. We weren't exactly pleased about this change because boarding school where we were got really hot. We were up in the Santa Barbara mountains and it got really hot the first semester. Like everybody would sleep with windows open and no blankets hot. And they said, well, the boys can do shirts and skins on the soccer field, but the girls can't. I'm like, well, hang on a second. This isn't fair. And they said the boys could go shirtless if they were doing construction because I went to a boarding school. It's called Midland, uh, the Midland school. It's in a town called Los Olivos. It's a very small school, about a hundred people every year for the whole school. And, um, they said the boys could, uh, when you're at school there, you do the work of the school. So you do the farming, you do the construction, you do the plumbing, you do the cleaning. It was, you know, to teach you how to do all those things and to have kind of that good worth work ethic. And I loved it. I think it's great. Not for everybody, but it was good for me. And they said the boys could, while they were working in the middle of school, you know, to do any of those cleaning construction, whatever things they could work with their shirt off, but the girls couldn't. And I remember this really well, that the girls soccer, uh, the girls volleyball team, excuse me, of which I was the captain of varsity of junior varsity. Cause I was not a very good player, but I wanted to play anyway. Um, we said, well, forget this. And we waited until the principal of the school came out of his house to go for his afternoon jog. And as always, he took off his shirt cause it was flipping hot. So we took off all of our shirts mm. and continued to play. Um, he took one look at us, went back inside. I don't know what he did when he was inside, came back out went on his little jog, came back, and that night at dinner made his announcement that uh, the rule was rescinded, is that the rules were the same for the boys and the girls. If the girls didn't want to exercise in their shirts on the soccer field or while doing maintenance work that was really hot and sweaty, they didn't have to. They did need to wear a sports bra, though. We all agreed that was perfectly sensible and we're fine with it. Except that's not where the story ends, and that's where it should end, but that's not where it ended. At some point, one of the younger teachers decided that we were being a little bit too cavalier in the girls' uh, dorm area. And 
they got a little bit mad that we had a tendency to walk from the showers to our rooms wearing nothing. Now, this was a girls-only area, and really the boys couldn't see where we were because of the way the rooms were built. And you always had to walk outside after your shower to get to your room. That's just, there was a shower building, and there were your dorm individual room buildings, and that's just how it was. And so one day we saw him coming over to do the little teacher rounds, and he would stand at the kind of the border of where the girls' cabins were, and he would call out that, you know, male teacher coming into the area so that we knew that was what you did. You're polite. And uh, the call went down that that particular teacher was there. And a bunch of us sat there in our robes, waited till he came by and took off our robes and are all together. He didn't complain after that. What, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? We all flashed him. But se- seven of us? I think that was right. Uh, the junior class at the time. Uh, we just, we were so frustrated with his, because he was just not being fair. He was he was letting the boys get away with shirtlessness, but not the girls, even though the rule was that we could. And so, fine, when he came by, we just were all bare-ass naked. And we're like, you know what? You're going to complain about us being naked in our ladies-only area? Go for it. Suspend all of us. We dare you. And he didn't. <laughs> he also stopped complaining. I mean, I don't know how anyone would react in that situation, period. <laughs> Well, I, mean, I can't think of a single way that would appropriately end well in that situation other than ignoring it and going away. He turned around and walked away. Um, he still he taught at the school for another few years, actually. He was still there when I graduated, and I saw him there. My father taught at the school after I graduated, um, which is why that's not as weird as it sounds to say that I saw him there. I, I saw him there a few years after I graduated, and, you know... I was wondering if, like, his viewpoint was ever really changed because, like, I've seen your daughter naked. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my father being a nudist, this is just sort of all whatever for me anyway. But, uh, (laughs) yeah. So there's my raciest story from boarding school. I I am sure Tracy will be pleased. (laughs) Tracy will find that absolutely hilarious. I'm sure of it. You do have the best stories, though. Okay, well, so, you know, go ahead. Like, like Kathy said, life is a banquet and most poor suckers are starving to death. I certainly am not. I take a bite out of that banquet every chance I get because I may never get another chance. So, damn it, I'm taking it by both hands and not letting the bastards get it away from me. Damn. <laughs> damn. Put <laughs> Do that it on in a mug. Life. Yes. Take a bite out of that banquet. No one will understand what it means. Take but, a uh, bite out of that Do it. Yeah. Well, my it. family would understand. Okay, now I have to come up with a question for your next guest. Yes, and I can't tell you who the next guest is. It just happens that Tracy had insider information, and it was unfortunate. <laughs> well, we, uh, we share the same calendar when we, we schedule what we're doing for Les Watchy things. So oh, you, she would have known, period. There was no sign of that. No, yeah. well, no, because so she put, you know, that she had it with you, and the same day I put that I had it with you, and then we were both like, did we both say, no, we can't do this podcast without each other? And we laughed about that. <clears throat> yes, you guys both did. <laughs> Which I, I, actually, know. I actually asked you guys at the same time, because while I was even doing her, I literally popped over and I was like, I'm going to ask Mika. So. I think that's, we're happy to do podcasts without each other if we're both going to be on the podcast separately. But, you know, we, we are a bit of a, you guys are a, bit a, of a double act. Yeah, we are. Um, let me think. 
Okay, a good question for someone I don't know who it is. I don't know what they're doing. You interview people from everything. Oh, gosh. Um, it's, it's pretty hard. My first guest, her, her question was, what is your favorite queer thing? And I was like, that's perfectly vague. So it can oh, then be... I'll be then I'll be more specific. Okay. Uh, if you could bring any dead queer character back to life, be it book, movie, or television, who would it be and why? Yes, certainly someone can answer that question. We all have at least one. <laughs> have at least one, and that is really sad. <laughs> well, I mean, we all have at least one dead character in general that we'd like to bring back to life. So, I, you know, let, let's, let's be fair about that one a little bit. I, would, I can totally answer that question, and it is not this episode for this. Well, not, see, now I'm never going to... Well, you, you'll have to answer the question next week so that I can listen. For sure. I mean, I can, you know what? I can tell you now. I can tell you now. I can edit it out. I have the power. Uh, people are just going to have to stay tuned to the next one to figure out what it was. Mine's Root. Yes, that one too. That but one too. I, I want the Root and Shaw spinoff, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I mean, wasn't there like a... Were they like, could there not have been a time period before she died they could have done that? Could, was there oh, no. really no time for that? They could have faked her death. Could easily. easily. I, I mean, that, that, show, that last easily. phone call could have been from her. And then, ah, ha, 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 Shaw's smiling like that because she's actually alive. Everybody lives happily ever after and goes off being the Mayhem Twins. Easy. Easy I, money. Easy but they could, money. They could... They, they did shop the show around. They just couldn't get the rights properly because CBS is CBS. <sighs> I don't know if you've ever seen that, 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 that gif of Kermit when his face just puckers up and pulls in, but that was the face I was just making. Perfect. I can see it right now. There Perfect. you go. I love it. Okay. Well, it was great talking to you again. I really do love doing this with you. I'm glad because guess what? This won't be the last time you're on. <laughs> Yay! I love I'm totally back. Oh, I mean, you're really you're very easy to talk to and very personable. So oh, I really God. enjoy this. I'm glad after a year of doing this, there's something to show for it. You definitely. I mean, because I did this a year ago, and now I'm doing it now, and and I can see how you've grown as an interviewer, <gasps> and it shows in how you're listening. Uh, when I listen as well, I'm a terrible podcast listener these days. <laughs> Between I only you and get like, me, so am I. I've gotten really bad at not catching up with my shows. I, you know, I, I just, I can't keep up. So, like, I look for episodes that I'm really interested in and listen to them. And then mm -hmm. the rest of the time, people are like, well, what are you doing when you're, you know, you, you said you used to listen to them at, while you're working. But yeah, um, I usually have my uh, iPad up and I'm watching a TV show to catch up on it and add things while I'm working now. <laughs> I mean, how you and Tracy, like, I, I, I think the entire world should agree that we're blessed that you guys can do both of these at the same time. So you can, you can spare equal time for your work and for also this beautiful, beautiful database you have, but Jesus, how do you <clears throat> girls do it? I just um, don't like, I, you, I, keep, you keep explaining I it to me, but I can't over a hundred words. A, I can type over a hundred words a minute and what? I watch a lot of things at my best. Usually I'm much slower than that. Um, and I can watch a lot of things uh, at 1.5 speed instead of uh, regular speed. You know how you can make uh, YouTube watch faster? No, I don't. 
You can make YouTube videos play a little bit faster. You speed them up. Um, and you can also do it. I have a thing called uh, VLC, which is a video LAN. I forget what the C stood for. Uh, converter. It used to be a video converter tool, and now you just watch it for watching videos. Um, I watch things faster than they're meant to be played because otherwise I would never get through everything. Oh my God. So dramatic pauses are like nothing for you. You're just like, whatever. Oh. Oh, seriously, like dramatic pause. Fa- I'm, fa- I'm, I'm holding down that fast forward button while, while they're having the, uh, straight people on scene fast forward. Seriously. I just, there are a lot of shows that I just skip over all the straight stuff. Otherwise I'll never get through the, through it at the end. I mean, that's Which how gay people to get want to watch this stuff anyway. Well, right. That's how I can like watch it and go, Hmm, how many episodes are there? Also, I'm really lucky in that, like in the case of anime, I have a friend who's really into anime and, and, uh, he has watched much of this already and is just happily giving me information. Oh, thank you, God. Because I was like, how do you watch all that? Because that's like, like one day I want to have you on where we just talk about how watching anime <laughs> is just like, it's a minefield. Like the whole series could be about these two girls, but somehow they will make it about every other fucker in that show. Well, that's just how them. anime and manga work, though. I mean, no. <laughs> just i'm so passionate about something i watched 10 years ago that i need to let it go now i should probably do the um uh where you can find me thing yes do do the thing do the thing tell people where they can harass you i mean thank you for <laughs> all the work you've done well people do harass me now um if but you in want a good f- way in a in good a, way in a good way if you want to follow me on twitter and you just care about gay things i would follow Let's Watch TV. Uh, you can also see the website, leswatchtv.com. We update right now about three times a week with new articles and definitely at least three times a week with new TV shows and characters. If you're looking for just me and you don't mind somebody who likes baseball, politics, and all sorts of crazy stuff, you can find me online as Ipstenu, I-P-S-T-E-N-U. I have a website that I update infrequently, ipstenu.org. And if you're really into technology stuff, check out halfelf.org. It's all one word, halfelf. And I wrote two to three times a week for seven years, something technical. It's currently on hiatus so that I can devote more time to working on Les Watch TV. Goodness gracious. Like what, what is it just about? Is it like just anything technical or mainly about web hosting stuff? A lot about web uh, websites and developing for websites and also about web hosting and just anything that had to do with technology that I had a question on. Like, what is cloud hosting was literally how it got started because um, I like I didn't understand it seven-ish years ago. And then sometimes it's like, how do I do X on my, on my laptop? How do I do this on my phone? And uh, sometimes it's about hardware. Like I was talking about how I use my little uh, – portable voice recorder. Oh, I need to figure that one out right there. So he's in oh my God. Yeah. But the portable, the portable voice recorder, ridiculously easy. Um, I was trying to record something from my iPhone and as it turns out, that's not actually very easy to do. I need to look into that though. That's a, that's a thing I should look into because I was going to interview people at pride and then I, it fell through, but actually Thankfully, it fell, fell through because it was too loud there. And I realized, what am I doing trying to record in a parade? 
<laughs> and this is where uh, uh, dedicated handheld devices are actually really useful. Uh, people at Lexicon um, uh, were teasing me because mine looks kind of like a taser. Uh, <laughs> but it, was, it has it has movable directional mics is what's going on. And so when they were together, they kind of looked like a taser. Um, but the thing is, is that I was able to use that to record in a situation where I was at a bad angle and uh, couldn't like get the mic right up in their faces to record anything. And it was really beneficial for me to have that independent recorder because I recorded everything on a handheld device. I didn't have to worry about my phone running out of battery because this battery thing lasts like forever. And the sound quality that I got back, yeah, I had to crank it up on my laptop to hear it, but it was all audible. And you definitely have to give me like the name of this device. Uh, I'm using a Tascam DR40. It's a mid-range device. It's about a hundred dollars. Uh, think you can get it in budget it, is what I just heard. Yes. The most expensive one I would even consider is about $150. Um, you can get a cheaper, smaller one, um, for about, I want to say it's like $70, I think. Um, it's also Tascam is the model T-A-S-C-A-M. Um, I've used that and I've used a zoom and I found that I like the interface on the task cam a little bit better. Um, I would go, since you do a podcast, I would definitely not go lower than the, than the uh, mid range model though, because you can also attach microphones to it. So nice. if nice. you ever get yes. right, um, and it all records to a, uh, Oh, what do they call it? SD card? Yes. And then you just slap it in your computer and download it. If you run out of, you know, if you, if you ended up working with a team, huh, that would be nice. Uh, they can do the transcription and listen to the audio while you're doing other stuff, you know? Holy yeah. Cow. I, it's great. And I, I, I'm quite pleased with it. This is the third time I've used it. Um, uh, the first time I've used the task cam, the third time I've used the device itself and I found it to be a lifesaver battery lasts longer than my phone. Holy cow. This is great. This is mm -hmm. great information. We need to stop recording though. It's been two hours yes. and 30 minutes. <laughs> yes. And I need to go and get dinner. <laughs> Me too. My dinner's actually been sitting by the door this whole time. She came in and she was like, here you go. And she left. I have to go remind my wife to eat because I'm sure she's busy having fun and here's forgotten. Oh my God. Same. <laughs> Same. But it was so great talking to you again. Thank you yes. so much for taking the time because I didn't just consume two hours of your evening. No, I, I, I sort of budgeted three. I assumed we'd go over. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Working within time constraints is really hard, but I, I am so appreciative of you coming on and sharing your stories and sharing all of the wonderful information. And uh, it's been great. Thank you so it much. It has. You're totally welcome. And I will talk to you again soon. Yes. Bye. All right. Bye.